You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is my opinion, and I'm going to seek my approval. Do I approve of me? Love doesn't have any expectations. It doesn't seek something in return. It gives because it wants to. At our core, all of us have these feelings of being unlovable and inadequate. And until we start to care for those parts of ourselves, we can't really have the outer successes that we long for. There's money by you, intuition, insight, creativity, higher vision, transcendence, no. Money does buy you pleasure, and pleasure is good, but it's not enough. We need fulfillment. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a show to help you pause, relax, reflect, and be curious. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best selling author and entrepreneur exploring the human experience. I interview world leading thinkers, shaping ideas around the mind, health, spirituality, philosophy, and culture. I'm often reminded that thoughts become things, so we need to choose the good ones. I hope this show helps you to do that too. On the podcast this week, I'm speaking to Kagi Dunlop. She's a podcaster and author of Saturn Returns. Kagi has been a television personality for the past decade, and in the last few years, she has turned her attention to bringing community and conversation to spiritual awakening and astrology. Keggy's debut book, Saturn Return, talks about the journey we all go through at different times of our life, when things feel like they are falling apart, or when life feels very tumultuous. Using astrology-inspired tools and teachings, Keggy looks at how we can understand these moments with different perspectives. One that understands that growth is often uncomfortable, but absolutely necessary if we want to expand and enjoy our life in deeper and in more fulfilling ways. I've known Kagi since I was 16, and it's been fascinating and awe-inspiring to see her evolution and follow her curiosity into new areas. Her work feels so reassuring because it's true, we all go through these really difficult moments and it can feel like we're the only ones experiencing it. But what she does is open up a conversation to remind us that life doesn't happen without these painful moments, but within pain, within uncomfortable growth is true beauty, true blessing. And actually we can use astrology to help us get there. So I hope you find this work and conversation just as reassuring as I do and enjoy this conversation. So to start really simply, what is a Saturn return? So your Saturn return is something that happens in your late 20s, around 28 when Saturn returns to the same place in the sky it was when you were born. And within the realms of astrology, this is viewed as a sort of cosmic coming of age or an initiation into adulthood because Saturn is associated with things like boundaries, with karma, with discipline, with responsibility. And if you haven't been living in a Saturnian fashion, let's say, this can feel like a bit of a drop kick from the universe because often all these life lessons come at once during this very condensed period of time. And equally, you know, for some people that have been embodying those principles, it can mean just leveling up. So perhaps you might get that promotion that you've been working really hard for. You might get married or have kids it kind of affects everyone slightly differently. But from my own personal experience, I was very undisciplined, very ungrounded, very sort of, I guess, Neptunian to use another sort of astrological term. And that meant that my Saturn return really hit me pretty hard. And then from there, I kind of wanted to create this body of work to help people navigating their own time of transition and change. What happened during your Saturn return? And maybe we could split this up into areas. So mm-hmm. from a relationship perspective, 
what were your Saturn moments of learning and what unfolded? Like I kind of just said that a lot of the life lessons come at once. That's why your Saturn return can feel so hard because it's like you might not just get a breakup, you might get fired, a breakup, Mm. friendships change, like everything in this condensed period of time. And for me, a really big one around relationships that actually when I was looking back when I was writing the book I was going into the actual dates of my Saturn return and whilst I knew that I was going through it when I was going through it I wasn't going through it like this is my Saturn return like it just kind of I'd forgotten about it you know what I mean and I was just I was just drowning in life I wasn't thinking necessarily that that's what was happening and then I had this breakup which was in October of 2019, which was when my Saturn return ended. And as I was writing this book, it was very clear to see that that was really when a door closed and everything opened up. What I mean by that was like, everything felt like I was in a kind of washing machine. Mm. And then the breakup was just like this final guillotine style ending that brought a lot of stuff to the surface about myself and I always I always believe that relationships offer a mirror into like whatever we're going through right and they're an opportunity for like deep personal healing as well and what happens when we go through a breakup we tend to jump into this like perpetrator victim thing where it's like you just blame the other person for the reason it went wrong and it's all their fault whereas in this situation I was like okay Clearly, my life is not going to go how I thought it was. I thought that we were going to probably get married and do the things and we had friends in common and it was all quite nice and made sense on paper. And then the carpet was pulled from underneath me and I suddenly was kind of faced with this blank canvas again. But within that, there was so much growth and it really catapulted my personal development because... I think for so long, I'd self-abandon for partnership. You know, when a romantic opportunity came along, I was very programmed and conditioned to just abandon all aspects of myself. And that manifested in, you know, drinking and just being a chameleon by nature, really. I would just shapeshift to whatever situation I found myself in. And actually for me, like the biggest thing was like being grounded and at that point committing to a lot of things that I'd been not committing to. And sobriety was one of them. And just making kind of a pact to myself not to self-abandon for love, that perhaps love didn't have to be synonymous with losing myself. This part of the book resonated so much. I think there's one part that you talk about how Sometimes you can just be stuck in these relationships because the unknown is so deeply scary that the way back home feels far too long. You know, don't have the you energy. Don't the way, or, yeah. You don't know the way. Would you mind sharing more about that and mm-hmm. what that moment was like and what the journey home even looked like? Yeah, so I think in the book, I kind of give it this analogy of paths. Like we meet someone, we're going on our path. And I often found that in my 20s, I would get things together and things would be feeling quite good. And I'd be feeling good about myself and good in my body and like career things were kind of formulating into something. And then I would meet someone and it was like, I'd meet them on their path and I'd just walk straight onto theirs and not even realize I was doing it. And then go along with them. It was all very lovely and very romantic and often very intense and all consuming. And then after a while, I'm like, this doesn't feel like where I'm supposed to be going. And then you recognize that you left your own track and you don't know how to get back. And so you stay and you wrestle with reason. And sometimes there can be a really strong intuitive knowing. And that's definitely what I had in my experience where your body is kind of screaming at you. And that's, it's such a powerful thing, a woman's intuition. Like we just know, even if on the surface things seem good and there's nothing obviously wrong and I denied a lot of that instinct because I was kind of scared to try and find my own path again I didn't really feel like I had one to be honest and I guess for me I was forced back in a way 
actually, maybe that's not entirely true because I could have tried to salvage the relationship. And I think we've also all been there where we're like, I just want this to fit. Mm. And I think age plays a huge part, especially for women when we are, I get so many messages from people being like, I'm 29, yeah. I'm 32, whatever, around that kind of age where people freak out. And I guess I could have freaked out, but I didn't really. I saw it as an opportunity to really embrace my own path fully. And fortunately, kind of from that, everything started blossoming in a really beautiful way. Single life can feel so scary. And you write about how it almost can be attached to quite a lot of shame. We're so shameful to say that we're single. And that's why many people will stay in relationships that don't feel right to your point, your body's screaming at you. But the thought of loss, and you talk about this too, the grief that comes with the ending of a relationship is surmountable. That we'll do anything to avoid it. Why do you think we are so terrified of single life? And what are your tools for anyone who is trying to kind of wrestle with coming to peace with single life and having trust in that they are on their right path? Well, I think a big part of it is conditioning and what we're socialized to believe about ourselves. And I feel quite passionately around this area for women because at this age and stage, I have a lot of conversations where the narrative is like, you know, I've heard people say, I've heard men say, oh, you know, I've got a lot of single female friends that are in their 30s, but you know, they're wonderful, but the pool is very small. And it like, they mean it like in a nice way. And I'm like, that's so corrosive, mm. that idea. And then, you know, other men saying, I had lunch with a friend, a guy friend recently, and he's a bit older. And he was like, he's recently single and said that he's, you know, he's dating younger women, but the, the women that are in their late 20s to early 30s, he was like, they're just crazy because, you know, they're thinking about babies and stuff. I'm like, but are they? Are they really? Or is that just what society makes us feel? The reason I feel passionately about this is because I believe that like your Saturn return and your sort of initiation into the next stage of womanhood from like maiden to mother. And when I say mother, I don't just mean being an actual mother, mm. I mean kind of the stage of womanhood that we initiate into. It's a an amazing journey where you finally feel like you know yourself mm. and you feel a sense of your own power. But the patriarchy and everything around you is going to tell you that your shelf life is coming to an end or that the window of opportunity is closing and that the walls are narrowing. And I think that that's intentional. I think that that's intentional because I think there's a system in place that doesn't want to celebrate that next stage of womanhood because historically it's been a threatening and powerful thing. So it's easier to keep women feeling small, less than, trying to fit in, trying to stay youthful. And by that, I know, look, I'm a Taurus. I love beautiful things. I think it's important that we I want to look after my appearance just as much as the next person. But I think this obsession with staying young is kind of wrapped up in that whole theme. So I would kind of invite anyone that's feeling that way to recognize what's really their truth versus what they're being told to believe. What were your first steps when you find yourself newly single to make sense of your reality and also get to where you've got to, which is this enormous sense of grounding. Because I think often there's so many things that people can dabble with or try, but actually what are the first steps? I think when I was single at that point, I don't remember actually thinking, oh God, I'm single. I think I was more hurt and it wasn't even just the relationship. I think the ending of the relationship ignited all my other insecurities mm. and the fact that the one thing I thought was a stable grounding point dissolved before my very eyes. Mm. And that also meant that I had to acknowledge that everything else was kind of in this turmoil as well. So it really, that was just one part and as a kind of catalyst to be like, okay, everything feels a little bit all over the shop. So actually it was like an invitation for me to find, I knew I had to find that grounding in myself. And a big part of that was starting Saturn Returns, 
finding something that, that gave me such an anchoring. And then it came at a time which was in the pandemic. So it meant that people were listening and needing this conversation and support. And then in turn, like the more I shared about my experience and stories, the more I realized that it resonated with lots of people that were feeling the same. And sometimes people say like, oh, how do you feel being quite vulnerable talking about this stuff? And I'm like, the paradox is the more I share that vulnerability, mm. the more confident I feel because you recognize that it's mirrored in so many other people. And when people contact, I'm sure you have it as well, when they contact you and they're like, this is what I've experienced. Thank you for articulating feelings I didn't know how to. It makes you feel less alone. And such a big part of all of this stuff is the shame and the isolation because we always feel like we're the only one going through it. But there, I was listening to one of Oprah's podcasts and well, something that she, like a talk that she'd done and she said this thing about all pain is the same. There's nothing that you've experienced that someone else hasn't. And I find that such a beautiful notion that we should remember when we're going through those periods of like, you will come out the other side, you will be able to alchemize that into a strength. You just might not see it right now, but it will kind of get you to where you need to be. I love that. And I also, that, that reminds me of another quote that says, there's no hierarchy in pain. And I think it's so easy to, especially when they're micro traumas, we can really easily belittle micro traumas and be like, oh my God, but it's not a huge trauma. So I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's just a breakup. And actually... Breakups are traumatic. <laughs> breakups can be the worst. Yeah. Huge wounding. Yeah. You're so right. And I, you know, even today, there are fragments of without, you know, I, I guess I never... It was such a big part of the book and my whole experience was like, even when something's happened that I speak a lot about victimhood mentality and it's, it's a delicate area because obviously to add as a caveat, I am excluding people and victims from abuse. And I feel like you have to caveat most things these days. Yeah. But I was very guilty of like going into this victim mentality of like everything is happening to me mm. and I made bad decisions and bad things keep happening and I'm like, everything felt really out of control and the breakup in a way was like I felt like that was my test from the universe it was like are you going to use this to kind of fall back into that mode of like poor little me and instead I was like actually I'm gonna reframe it and see it as an opportunity to catapult me to where I need to be but equally fragments of that still exist like you say the kind of the little traumas like let's not belittle when someone does betray us mm. and our hearts are fragile and we want to guard them because we want to protect ourselves but we have to have the courage to kind of let those walls down and sometimes that will mean that you're going to be activated or triggered I mean I am the whole time in my relationship and that's a lot to do with my experiences you know mm. and that's like why a relationship is such powerful work because when you're single you're less confronted by those things has your what you look for in a partner changed since your Saturn return massively and I I'm a big fan of Mark Groves we love love Mark Groves and when I went through that breakup that was my therapy I, I mean I was actually seeing a therapist at the time I had been for a while which gave me that kind of scaffolding to deal with things but also listening to his words and work mm. and it was really really transformative and then when he came on the podcast that again was like one of the most brilliant therapy sessions I've ever had it turned into one pretty much and I did some of his work and courses and it was just so interesting because I think we go through life like repeating the same things or we gravitate towards the same people and we can confuse attraction with a sort of anxiety in many ways you know we've all had those experiences when we meet certain people and we feel that kind of like oh my god that prickly feeling and to kind of investigate whether that's actually a positive thing that you're feeling or is that person is your system actually being like I don't feel safe I don't feel comfortable and we we can like eroticize those experiences and are more drawn towards them. And another thing like I learned to, so essentially it's like nervous system work, mm. but in the context of relationship, like 
actually how does that person make your nervous system feel because mm. the body is picking up on all kinds of things that you won't be aware of at this stage so do they feel calm do you feel relaxed do you feel magnetic or do you feel anxious or nervous or do you just not feel anything at all so that was one thing that I paid a lot of attention to and then the other thing was actually just getting really clear on like what my non-negotiables were because I'd never I never really sat down and thought about that and I think we're all well we can be guilty of measuring our investment on someone by how much we like them versus how they're actually showing up and so we can convince ourselves that something's happening or spend like hours on the phone to our girlfriends being like you know this is a bit confusing but I really think he likes me or this it's like to be honest if someone's into you you'll know about it yeah you know it's that kind of really simplified saying of like if it's right you'll know and if it's wrong you'll be confused and we would all save ourselves so much time but you know we have to go through those experiences right so that was actually a big thing for me it's like focusing on the actions and the behavior of someone and going into partnership from a place of I don't want to say completion but from a place of want not need mm. not needing someone to validate me or make me feel worthy or okay actually because then you can make far better decisions and smarter choices when you're coming from that place so those were some of the big ones. And what signals do you think life gave you to kind of maybe even just nod that actually you have done a lot of the work, you're a lot more in wholeness than you were before? What felt different? In the context of relationships or everything? Either. I did a panel discussion recently and it was with some other authors and, you know, friends and people that I deeply admire. And at the end, one of the audience members was, I was talking to her. And I still, you know, whilst we were having the conversation was having my imposter syndrome. And like mm. afterwards, I'm usually like, what did, what did I just say? <laughs> and this woman in the audience was like, I really like your energy. I was like, oh, thank you. She's like, when you're here, I feel like we're going to be okay. And I was like, that's the sweetest thing anyone said, but it made me feel really happy because for me, the biggest thing was I was so unanchored mm. and her saying that was like her acknowledging that I am mm. not only for myself, but that I can perhaps even bring that sense of groundedness to other people. And I think that's a reflection of the work I hope so that was definitely one because I think as well we get caught up in the like day-to-day -day chaos and we mm. don't see that we progressed we're so focused on what's the next thing mm. and then in the context of relationship I feel that the relationship I'm in now is very much reflective of the journey that I've been on in terms of the kind of partner I have and the way that we communicate with each other and the vulnerability and the connection but it also is very confronting as well because we, you know, you again faced with all that stuff where those old patterns come up and you want to shut down or you want to run or you want to retreat. And as you go deeper into intimacy in that container, you have to be faced with the paradox of love that on the precipice of it, there's always the possibility of pain on the other side and we yeah. can't bypass that that's what makes it so powerful but also terrifying this reminds me about a place in your book you talk about spiritual flight and that you're in a therapy session and your therapist asks you you know what did you think about this and you're really good at intellectualizing your feelings and kind of you know spouting <laughs> forth spiritual kind of jargon and she responds saying it's okay to be angry <laughs> like it is I don't know how to access that emotion <laughs> yeah that was such a a powerful one and to be honest that's still something I struggle with is accessing my anger and that's a historical thing of childhood being quite quiet and very sensitive and probably having so many emotions and not knowing how to process them that I would bury a lot of them and I do think perhaps I can be guilty of sometimes over spiritualizing or intellectualizing stuff without really accessing the pain. And that's now kind of part of my 
personal work and professional work is encouraging and inviting people to do that. You know, it's important to feel anger. And I think especially for women, you know, Gabor Mate speaks about this for women that don't express or process anger. It manifests an illness later in life. And that's something I, I don't want, but sometimes I feel like I'm scared to be angry. Like there's not space for my anger. Are there any practices that you try to engage in to express your anger? Yeah, so dancing. (laughs) Dancing in a way, not just dancing like nobody's watching, but it's like a kind of, it's like the dark feminine kind of dancing. You know, Mm. you're moving in this quite primal, animalistic way, making noises, just like getting messy. Because I think so much of what was socialized around being a woman or a girl is to fit in to not express anger to be agreeable and polite and you know you notice how it's not just gender specific but I I would say it is more so for women that we just like laugh and things even when things aren't funny even if they might be a bit offensive just like oh, that's, you know. <laughs> and it's just sometimes yeah. like have you ever had that where you actually want to tell that person to go fuck yeah. themselves yeah. they've just made like a misogynistic or sexist 100%. comment or like deeply offended you and you've just absorbed laughed. it and I've laughed. laughed. Yeah, 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 big time. And so I would like to get to a point where, but that in itself takes a lot of work because it's so, it's like that reflex reaction, isn't it? But to actually process that and react in a way that if anger feels suitable or you know a boundary or whatever. But yeah, some of the practices for expressing that is free movement. I've started therapy again. And I think often underneath anger is sadness, Mm. which again can feel hard to access, especially if it's historical. Because again, that kind of little trauma thing, it's like, oh, well, if it happened then, and you sort of intellectualize the whole thing and filed it into some sort of meaning, you're like, well, it couldn't be affecting me today. But stuff lingers around in the body for a very long time. Very much so. I actually recently had a massage, a really painful one. And the masseuse was so amazing. He just said, what are you not letting go of? And I just burst into tears Mm. because I didn't even know what he was referring to. But I just knew that you're right. It was something that is just stuck there and it needs to come out in some way, shape or form. Do you know what's so funny? I, they took this out of the book. They were like, this doesn't translate into the way that like, the story is supposed to be told. But when I went through the breakup, I went to Australia and I recognized that that is not an accessible solution to most people. But I had the opportunity to and... I just decided to take myself off for, you know, I wanted to go to Australia. It's my spirit home. And I just felt like that would be a place where I would do some healing. And that was really my intention for the trip. And I went alone and I had a fantastic time. And I was sitting in my favorite cafe there in Bondi. And I saw this picture of a man and it had, it was like masseuse and the number and the name of the company and stuff. And I just felt such a strong pull to go and see him. He had these like amazing blue eyes and it wasn't Mm. like a oh I want to go and like meet him all day it was just I need to meet this person and it was called like the medical massage or something like that and so I went along I booked a a massage and I turned up and it was like very like calm energy and this really lovely man and he sat and talked with me at the beginning about what I was going through emotionally and I said that I've just been through a breakup and all these things that were happening And he was like, okay, he's like, so before we start, I just want to let you know that a lot of women store their ex-boyfriends in their right glute. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean? And he was like, just saying when I get to your right, it was either left or right, I can't remember, but for the the story, it doesn't matter. He was like, so when I get to your right glute, like, just be prepared that you might, you know, cry. And I was like, this guy is crazy. No, it wasn't. I was like, okay, at that point, I was pretty open to this stuff. And lo and behold, when he was massaging that place, I felt this like intense resistance. Like he was trying to pull something away whilst going like deep into the muscle. And I, it was something that I was holding on to. And as I eventually released it, I 
had this, you know, explosion of emotion and I was just crying and crying and crying and it was really fascinating. But yeah, I wrote it in the book and they were like, that sounds quite strange. So, A man massaged your right glute, yeah. released your ex-boyfriend. Okay. What I find so fascinating in general about these, like, these slightly alternative healing stories is sometimes when you're sharing them, they do sound crazy. They do. And yet they for me certainly have been the most transformative experiences to the point where I don't know what I would have done had I not had these crazy witches healers wizards like you name it I've probably done it and you know what? it just makes life I think more magical and I've always been that way inclined I remember when I was younger I was like sailing with my people we were staying with's neighbor who was a lecturer at like Oxford or something in philosophy, but he was very atheist and like very scientific about stuff. And I remember like talking with him and he was just like, we were having conversations about God and everything. And he was just, everything I was saying and all my sort of mystical ways, he just was kind of disregarding them. But I remember thinking afterwards, I was like, I'd far rather live in my dreamlike world mm. than in a reality that doesn't have that magic and I think that's a big part of I'm not saying that I don't really believe in astrology but I think these things offer us a framework and the truth is life is tough and we go through hard things and if we can give it a bit of meaning and a bit of magic and like look out for the synchronicities and and the spirit guides and all these things that it makes it a lot more fun and just enjoyable to kind of navigate through Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What role has astrology played? And you do actually mention how you did disregard astrology for a long time. It's actually relatively recently that you really found great solace in it. Yeah, it was very much in tandem with my Saturn return, I guess, or that time, sort of my progressed lunar return, which happens just before your Saturn return time in LA. I would say that I've always had an appetite and interest in spirituality, but I didn't really have the community or the language for it. Mm. It was more of like personal practice. And then when I moved to LA and also spent time in Australia, they're just a bit more open, both, mm. you know, Sydney and LA are more open to this kind of stuff. And then I started finding comfort in women's circles and full moon rituals. And I never thought, oh, this is going to be the pathway to my career. It was more that I was just so in my head feeling so anxious, not knowing what was going to happen, trying desperately. At that time, I was doing music, and I really put so much importance on the success of that, defining sort of my self-worth, mm. that if it didn't work, I was worthless, basically, and became so in my own head about that. But I found a lot of comfort in these rituals or these people like Abraham Hicks, I discovered at that time, and then when I came back to London, again, it was a very personal practice. And then I, you know, had this relationship. And it, I don't think you need to have a relationship with someone that's on the same path in that they're doing the same things or have to be very, very spiritual. 
But I do think it requires someone to have an openness and mm -hmm. understand that that's a part of who you are. And I would feel, I felt like that wasn't really understood. That wasn't really shared. And after that, it kind of, I just lent into it more fully. And then, you know, I speak about it in the book when I went to see this healer. And, you know, also I developed a community of friends in London who were all, we all love the same things. We all talk in the same language about the same bizarre stuff. And when I went to see this healer, that was quite an aha moment in mainly the career stuff, you mm -hmm. know, having the faith to change course. And the concept of Saturn return and astrology it had originated in LA because that's when I was first told about it. And I started writing this idea that was originally a TV show because, of course, in LA, that's what everyone does. They write a script. <laughs> and then inevitably, I sort of was like, I don't know what I'll ever do with this. So parked it. And then when I was back in London and had gone through the breakup, loads of people started saying, you should do a podcast. And that's when it kind of felt right to bring all of those things that I've been practicing in private and kind of bring the theme of Saturn return because I'd also finished it. I knew that I couldn't talk about it when I was in it. And I also knew that yes. when I started, I needed to be accountable for everything I discussed that I had to em embody it and properly learn. And I think before that, I just, I would start so many things and abandon them, you know, and I really wanted this to be the thing that I committed to. And then of course, in turn, that meant a commitment to my own practices of astrology. And, you know, Nora who wrote in the book and has provided astrology for the podcast, she and I connected on social media just when I came back from LA, I think. And just kind of, I became very fascinated by it. I can't say that I grasp it in the way that astrologers do. And by that, I mean, whenever I've met an astrologer, they always say the same thing. For them, it's like rediscovering a language that mm. they already knew. Mm. It doesn't feel that way for me, but it gives me solace and grounding. And I just take little bits from all these sort of esoteric things that make me feel like I know myself better. In your early 20s, you obviously experienced fame from being on a reality show what yes. did you learn about fame and what why do you think so many young people especially in their teenage years if you ask them what they want to be now they all want to be famous tiktokers but you know maybe 10 years ago 20 years ago you'd ask kids and they say oh you know I, want, I just want to be famous why do you think we're so fascinated by fame and what did you learn from it well I definitely shared that sort of wanting to be famous thing I remember when I was younger and I, I had quite bad learning difficulties and we'd have to go to these places to get extra help and these weekends and stuff like that. And my mum took me to one and as part of the ex, we were learning like how we learnt, you know, when it was kinesthetic or all, all, all these different things. And they were asking us what we wanted to be. And I remember saying, I was writing it down. My mum was like, what is it you want to be? And I had written a famous psychologist. She, oh. she started laughing, which I was so upset by. Cause I was like, why is that funny? But she just found it so funny that I'd written famous. Like, why would she want to be a famous psychologist? Why not just a psychologist? But in many ways, it kind of makes sense to what I'm doing now. That's so Do you sweet. know what I mean? It's quite, it's quite amusing. But the, the fame thing is funny. It's, I think fame when it's a byproduct of a talent is one thing, but when it's a pursuit in and of itself, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I know that because I was catapulted into it from a very pretty young age. I mean, I was 21 and it was very much overnight. I had no grounding. I'd built no foundations and I was pretty sort of reckless in myself and the environment was very chaotic and it was bizarre trying to develop as a human being, as a, establishing who I was as a person, whilst this persona simultaneously existed that felt like an entity outside of me. You know, like the khaki Dunlop from Made in Chelsea was in half my creation and half the shows. And what I mean by that is from a young age, I felt like if I was that kind of person, I wouldn't feel insecure. I wouldn't feel 
you know, like an outsider, I wouldn't feel sadness. I was always very introspective and sort of melancholic. And when I kind of had these ideas that if I looked or behaved like certain girls that I saw, I wouldn't feel the discomfort of what it felt like to be me. And Made in Chelsea was very much a manifestation of that. The persona that I played was what I thought I needed to be to kind of eradicate that stuff, to cut away the parts of myself that I didn't feel were worth being seen. And the irony was that created this duality where I, you know, I speak in the book about it being this very Jekyll and Hyde thing where it was like this entity became bigger than me and I was sort of losing myself in that. And that's what is a dangerous thing about fame and having an audience. I would say now I have a community more than an audience. When you have an audience, they can turn on you very quickly. And I could see the possibility of that as well and get like hints of it. And for me, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right environment. I knew that it would alter me or it would steer me in a direction that wasn't authentic or in alignment. And so that meant bowing out. And, you know, I think that's what it is. We think we see these people that have these things and therefore they don't feel feelings of inadequacy or pain or discomfort or insecurity. And that is so not true. Mm. That's so not true. And it's dangerous, I think, when people say that about people they see and they think they know and they sort of say, well, she's got this or she's got that. So she can't feel these things. It's like, you don't know what it's like to be that person. And so it's given me a lot of humility in viewing the world, I think, because you never know what's really going on behind the scenes. There's a point in the book that you talk about when you quit the show and you said, oh, I wish I had a plan because I quit it and suddenly sat there going, shit, what shall I do next? And it really made me reflect on plans because I guess from my own perspective, every plan that I've had probably hasn't really gone to plan. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always, I always go back and forth as to how useful are plans. And I know the manifesting world has kind of builds up this idea that you really need a plan in order to be able to manifest. And I just don't know what your thoughts are on that because I know you didn't have a plan and you said, ah, oh, I think I recommend someone do. But then at the same time, as we get through the whole book, you've gone on this wandering journey that's <laughs> led true. you to no the plan, right plan. thing. The no plan <laughs> has led you to actually a wonderful stage at where you're where you're at now. You're so right. And that's probably one of the pieces of the book. And I think a lot of authors have this where you look back and you're like, I actually don't know if I meant that. But I think that what's valid is that I made a decision that I think was the right one, not only because it was the one that I made, but it felt right. But then what happened was I lost my conviction. Mm. I lost the courage. You know, it wasn't enough to just feel that it wasn't right because everyone else around me that was like, well, this, this was a great opportunity and why would you do that? And, or maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that or maybe you should cut your hair and change your name. And honestly, I felt like I was spinning around for most of my 20s because I kept subcontracting my authority. So it wasn't just not having a plan. It was like not listening to myself and listening to other people. And that is probably the thing that got me lost. Now, obviously, retrospectively, yes, things kind of worked out in their weird meandering way that life does tend to unfold. But I think we have to have at least clear intentions. And the way I look at it now, and it kind of perhaps ties into the sort of manifestation world, but there are certain things that I want to achieve in my life. And a lot of them are like creative projects. And now I view it as the importance is like in making them a reality, but it doesn't matter necessarily when they happen mm-hmm. or to what extent they happen. And mm-hmm. it's not dependent on the outcome. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, it's like, I think often we're like, oh, I want to do this, but if I don't do the best at it, then I can't be bothered mm. or I'm not going to try. Mm. So now I'm like, have an intention about what you want to create and then let the rest kind of unfold as it's supposed to and, and trust that 
the right opportunity or the right nudges will appear so that you know which thing to follow. And it kind of goes back into that trusting your own instincts and intuition because it might be a case of something's not right right now or there's something better we're supposed to be doing. It's just not in alignment. And so, yeah, I think I just got out of trust with myself. What did your Saturn return teach you about female friendships? Because again, this really lovely part where you kind of really share your ode to female friendships that can often be the greatest loves of our life. And yet we can often think that the loves of our life will only sit within a romantic partner, but actually that's so untrue. Your female friendships have gone through flux. What are your reflections now on that? I call it platonic triumphant platonic love and it was one of the sort of unexpected lessons from my Saturn return because I did you know I speak about it in the book I prioritized romantic relationships as I sort of explain if your life is like a pie chart and a romantic partner comes along and that takes up a lot of the space but when I went through that breakup and there was this space and I was introduced to someone called Kelly that I speak about in the book. And it was like platonic love at first sight. We just connected on the same things. We were on the same page. And then I realized that your cup can be filled from those relationships just as much as a romantic partner. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to feel like our sense of completion rests on finding the relationship. But actually sometimes our friendships are the greatest loves of our lives and they will be there to kind of pick you up when you break and put the pieces back together again. So that was really a powerful learning. And also how important it is to find a community of people that really see you for who you are and you have that sense of belonging with. And it doesn't have to be a huge number of people. I would say I probably have fewer friends than I did in my early 20s, but they're more meaningful ones that I can call on when I you know, I'm in times of trouble rather than maybe having a lot of fair weather friends. So that was a really big thing for me. But I also empathize with people going through friendship breakups because mm. that's a huge one because there's a lot of grief involved in that and no place to put it. And the reality is the people that aligned with us in our early 20s are probably not going to a decade later. And that's okay. I still don't know the answer and how to, whether it's best to have a conversation about that, because I think a lot of the sadness that is felt is when people don't, they don't know. Mm. So they've stopped talking with someone. It's kind of just faded out. And it might be a friendship you've had for years and years and years. And then you start internalizing that as, have I done something wrong? Do they not like me? And it might not even be that. It might just be that you're on different pages you know you're valuing different things one of you might have be starting a family and you're just you know that's just part of life really yeah very much so how do you handle disappointment now again it goes back to this thing of having an intention about something and not it not being dependent on the outcome and you can apply that to your career to your relationship to whatever if you know what you want to create and put into the world then be really clear on that, mm. write it out. I think a really powerful practice that I've done many times in many aspects from you know finding the apartment I want or the partnership is I would write about what that thing felt like, the details of that person or that place, and then just put it away and then kind of see how that comes to life when it's supposed to rather than trying you know, having a certain expectation of how things are going to go and trying to fit someone into that mold and then being disappointed. Disappointment is only a reflection of how much we expected. Mm. And I'm not saying we should have low expectations, but take everything as it is whilst having those intentions. And I always repeat to myself, like, show me the reality, like, show me what is true. Mm. Don't let myself deceive myself about this situation thing or person or whatever it might be so I think that that's quite a useful tool because we don't know how things are gonna unfold but that's part of the beauty of it 
And if we are faced with a blank canvas again, because something does go wrong, we can reframe that as an opportunity to create something even more beautiful. That will put us in a very different place energetically than sitting in the feeling of disappointment. Whilst that's valid and we've got to experience that, just be mindful not to stay in it because that disappointment might be setting you up for something a million times better. Kagi, this has just been a dream of a conversation. I've loved it. I hope that everyone has resonated and related as much as I have. I will put a link to the uh, in the show notes to Kagi's wonderful book, Saturn Returns, along with her podcast. And I will also put a link to your retreat uh, because I know you're launching your first I think retreat. It's sold out. <laughs> it's sold out. So we might be putting a, a link to that. But we have we are launching the courses, the Saturn Returns courses. Oh, so great. that would be amazing haven't even talked about that but yeah okay i'll put a link to that thank you so much for today's chat thank you for having me thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed today please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much i'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so my mental health book happy not perfect is available to order now the book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker A skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions, and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you, so do shoot me a message on Instagram, send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 